Welcome to Viral, a podcast for the public's health. I am Quinn Lundquist, a policy and communications public health worker. And I'm Lindsay Grove, a independent consultant that deals in social marketing and health communication. You deal in them. I sure do. Yes. And uh, this episode is our interlude episode where we kind of reflect on the past uh, few episodes that we've done, talk about what we've learned and uh, what's going on in our lives, and then um, maybe maybe even what's what's coming up ahead for viral. Absolutely. So one of the first episodes that we did in this um, little batch, little little episode batch, uh, was total fecal. Yes. Good uh, old poop episode. Yeah, good old poop episode. Uh, hashtag poop life. And oh, God. <laughs> uh, we talked a lot about uh, really waste management and looking at it from an infrastructure standpoint. One of the things that really um, impressed me was the degree of planning that went into getting rid of poop from ancient civilizations onward. We pretty much knew, hey, this is probably not good to just have sitting in the corner, so let's move it somewhere else. Sometimes that meant just dumping it into a um, little, like, gutter that was specially designed to flow a certain direction, even though it did get clogged sometimes. Oh, yeah. But uh, people weren't always just, like, throwing it out their window. That's kind of a misconception about the past. And, you know, I can only imagine during that time, like, all the smells you have to deal with, and then on top of that, you've got poop. So it's like people in general smelled bad at that time, and really, the last thing you want to be smelling is your own dookie. Yeah. So. But the ancient Egyptians used uh, sand. They had a, a hole, and you would evacuate and then <laughs> kind sure of would. mix it up into the sand so that it was basically like a human I was, litter, litter box. Yeah, I was just, You'd have some slaves to like Which is crazy because they revered for cats. You. They loved cats. Yeah, so Maybe they were like, you know what? Let's take a page out of their book. Maybe that's the evolution of the, the litter box. People used them first. We need to look this up. We definitely need also, I would say one of my observations from this episode is that public toilets, no matter what period of time we're in, are the worst. We've managed to do so many things with technology. We have the internet now. I can watch cat videos from a pocket computer that talks to satellites in space. But sometimes I have to go into a room with other people. Yeah. And it's awkward. Or heaven and I forbid. I don't like it. You have to use a porta potty. Oh no! Yeah. Oh uh, boy. Yeah. yeah. It's not great. We have. We talked about this on the episode. We have not improved upon that design. It's not pleasant. It's, in fact, you know, I feel like it's top three worst experiences that you have to deal with as a human that aren't that are normal experiences that humans have to go through. Yeah. So. Um... Elon Musk, once you're done with your Hyperloop uh, train and your um, space tourism business, could you please create a better 
public toilet system. I mean, or I feel just like individual. I don't know what we have to do there. Like poop pods. Poop pods. Also, I feel like, dude, you created Boring Company. Porta potties are ripe for the taking. Oh man, think of all these uh, millennial hipsters who go to music festivals. Yeah, and they're like, uh, can you like? Make sure that the hand sanitizer is organic and smells like patchouli. <laughs> I also need to make sure that my mustache is uh, properly waxed. Yes. Right. Do you have beard oil in here? Beard oil. Um. Yeah. So. That public was, toilets. Yeah. That was. Uh, yeah. That, so that was that was total fecal. Total fecal. Yep. And um, we had a really nice talk with Mackenzie. Who's an epidemiologist out in Arizona. She's really great. You guys, she interviews people with diarrhea for a living. That's got to be, like, the coolest job. Yeah. Yeah. I would love it. I mean, I love interviewing people in general, but, like, when they're telling me about their... About their insides going outside? Yeah. Their um, excrement. Yep. Please. Do tell. So, um, we also talked about cancer epidemiology, where um, I was pretty interested to find out that early occupational health um, was really looking at cancer clusters, like um, chimney sweeps carcinoma. People found that uh, chimney sweeps had a certain type of lung cancer, and it became an occupational risk for, um, for people in that field. And so one of the first um, people to ask, what is your job as a part of a medical exam? Uh, I believe this was Mr. Bernardino Ramazzini. I believe it was. Yes. The one with the hair? The one with the beautiful, beautiful locks. Um, so that was kind of cool. And uh, also, we interviewed people from Moffitt Cancer Center. Yes, they invited us to their epidemiology tea, which is really an opportunity for epidemiologists to come together and talk about current research. Um, and in this particular part of the episode, we just kind of interviewed them to find out what their research interests were, the projects that they're working on. Um, and it, it was really, really interesting. And again, it kind of looped back into total fecal because we talked a lot about fecal implants because there is an epidemiologist at Moffitt who is studying uh, the microbiome and how that impacts cancer susceptibility. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was actually really fascinating. We had a whole talk about poop banks. All right. Yeah. I guess we're getting one locally. Interesting. Yeah. So do you get like a, an ATM card for that? Sure. P- PTM? You're going to make a deposit? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh God. Oh no. Yeah. Um Actually, that reminds me of something. Oh boy. Yeah, I I was in Berkeley for a, a summer thing a few years back Wait, and one time Berkeley, California? Yeah. And one time I went to go use the ATM and someone had smeared excrement all over the ATM screen and buttons. Clearly, they thought it was a poop bank. Oh, my God. It was horrible. Yeah. You know, I get get my money bank and my poop bank mixed up all the time. It's hard to tell them apart. Yeah. All right. So, that was interesting. (laughs) Sure. 
Um, we also talked about climate change and public health. What uh, what kind of things did you learn from that? Well, uh, you know, a lot of, especially with climate change, obviously we know that it's very politically divisive, but climate change really does have a lot of impact on public health, and it is a public health issue. Uh, for instance, I was just in Savannah, Georgia, where it was really, really hot, and Savannah, uh, unfortunately, has seen really terrible yellow fever outbreaks, you know, back in the day. They actually have a mass grave of people who died of yellow fever. 60% of their population died during this yellow fever. So climate change impacts, you know, it'll impact the weather, which impacts, you know, um, mosquito-borne illness. You know, there's so many different things that public health uh, is impacted by when it comes to climate change, whether it's sea level rise, meaning that there are people that are migrating out of a certain area, whether it's crop production, um, you know, we may not be able to feed people. I mean, that's a really scary, scary thought. So, um, extreme weather events. Yeah. We live in a state where we get hurricanes and mm-hmm. now today's actually, um, well, on the day that we're recording this, uh, the 25th anniversary of Hurricane Andrew. Which was terrifying. Not fun times. No, not fun times. So I I will say, though, I am encouraged to see, you know, we talked about this in the epidemiology episode that, you know, people think that scientists kind of work in, you know, by themselves in labs. They don't. They're, they work on teams. And that's one of the great things about public health is that we in science in general, is that we're more than willing to, we recognize the need to work in teams. And I think that's where, you know, we can help kind of conquer some of the issues and solutions, you know, to addressing climate change in public health. Yeah. And we also introduced for the first time the topic of health in all policies, where um, Linda Rudolph described how public health as a field can better work with non-traditional public health uh, agencies and partners like transportation, urban planning, um, public safety, uh, and and other typical government silos to um, each other's mutual benefit, where you can create policies that benefit um, public works and public health, and that government organizations uh, have gotten too siloed and Mm -hmm. we need to do a better job of communicating with each other. Um, And I hope that we can do an episode about that and, for instance, looking at um, the design of parks in the early uh, 19th and 20th century about how the parks departments were often the public health departments. They all worked together. So um, that was pretty cool. And then um, my friend Dana talked about her work um, as a uh, working in climate justice and environmental justice. And um, one of the things that I really got out of that discussion was that you need to motivate people by uh, the head and the heart. Using your facts and figures is important, but unless you give people an emotional reason to care about an issue, a lot of times they won't. And a lot of 
that's hard for scientists to understand because uh, a lot of times we we rely on our the weight of our data um, to make decisions. And while that is important, it's not the way that everyone thinks. Mm-hmm. So we need to um, still use our data, use it effectively, but not necessarily just bludgeon people with it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, with with issues like climate change, it's hard, right? Because people can't necessarily see it happening right before their eyes. It's very nuanced. It ha- it's happening, I mean, what seems like incrementally, really, it's accelerating. But um, so really giving them something that's salient is very important. And, you know, I think for getting people not only motivated to, you know, advocate for something, but to keep them motivated, you do need the emotional piece because that's what keeps people going because it can get very disheartening after a while. You know, policy change takes a very long time, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Which leads us into the topic of advocacy. So advocacy. Um you think you can't do it in your job, but really uh, there are many different degrees of advocacy that you can um, engage in. And I don't mean degrees as in a um, university setting degree, but like levels of um, intensity. So you can email your congresspeople when you are off work. You can um, join a professional organization like uh, APHA at the national level or your own state often has a public health association or maybe even more local than that. There could be uh, city or metro area public health organizations or there may be specific ones for your field if you're into um, – environmental health or, or community health or um, tropical diseases. There's probably some kind of a professional organization that works on your behalf to um, advance the interests of your field. And so you can get involved in them and find out how to um, get things done on a policy level. You can also put your citizen hat on and advocate as a citizen. And that could be through, you know, outside of work hours, contacting your representative, sending them emails, uh, or joining an organization. I've mentioned it before, you know, I'm a part of the League of Women Voters, which is a nonpartisan civic engagement organization, and they have local, state, and national chapters. Um, you are obviously can join any sort of partisan organization that you want. Uh, but don't forget that you have power as a citizen. Mm-hmm. You know, elected officials are technically, I mean, they work for you. So your voice has a lot of meaning to them, um, whether that's through a letter to the editor, doing some opinion writing, um, or just calling them and saying, hey, I, I really want you to vote this way on a certain bill. Um, there's also ways to just keep yourself informed. Um, I get a texting service every day of, you know, different legislative actions that are happening based on, you know, my uh, my policy interests. You can sign up for newsletters. I mean, there's... Is a, that in the form of emojis? They send you like... Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's really great. Sometimes I get it wrong. like thumbs up. Yeah. Or a little clapping yeah. emoji. 
if you want a little them to, a little praise too when the we little praise or the, yeah. the dancing tango lady yeah yeah that's what yeah wow. this is the emojis I know hit the nail right on the head or or the little poop emoji yeah depending on uh, you realize like no don't vote for that yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm that's that's great we should if I wish actually that texting service did exist yeah I'm sure it would make no sense. <laughs> Maybe it will to some people. Maybe it will. Maybe it will change the world. That's our million-dollar idea. Oh, my God. Well, on to our next episode (laughs) where we talked about global health, which, honestly, guys, we can't cover global health in one episode. This was an introduction to global health. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't think like, oh, so guinea worm is global health? Okay. There's so many more things, but we wanted to kind of give you a basic introduction, describe the World Health Organization and how they were founded and how a lot of these um, large organizations like this were founded after World War II during the rebuilding phase and trying to create coalitions of nations for a common good. So you had UNICEF, you had um, the WHO, you had the United Nations, you had all these groups that came together and said, okay, we can do better as a people to advance common goals that cross um, country boundaries. And so... That's um, beautiful. Yeah. That one, that one came out of it. And um, we also talked to Andrew, who used to work for the Carter Center. Yes. Who they're working on a, a guinea worm eradication project. And I know that y'all didn't see the pictures of guinea worm. Just like, Google. Just well, if you if you're if you're um, faint at heart or if you get grossed out really easily, uh, just be aware it's worms coming out of people's skin. Google it's, it's it really gross. Over a nice plate of spaghetti. Oh boy. Mm, yeah. Yep. Yep. Maybe maybe uh, some linguine, angel hair pasta. Oh no no no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Some udon noodles. Yeah. Yeah, so the pictures that he showed were terrifying, and so it's amazing how much progress the Carter Center has made to eradicate this awful, awful disease through the use of just simple water filters. We also learned about water fleas. Well, they have a lot of other ways of treating yes, them. Yes, that's one, that's one part of yeah. their approach. But yeah, uh, water fleas, gross. But apparently they're necessary in terms of the life cycle of the guinea worm that I didn't know before. Yeah, I didn't either. And I didn't really need to, but now, now I do. Yeah. And now I'm ready if anyone asks me about the life cycle of a guinea worm. Yeah, it's um, – especially when it gets into the human body, gross. Yeah. It's real gross. So great job, Carter Center, for eliminating it or eradicating it because it's and, – and, they also recently, what was it, in the last year, found out or figured out that dogs are also carriers of guinea worms. Yeah, because we used to think that it was just people. Yep. So, but that's good because that means that they, now that they've identified that, that's another piece that they can address through, um, for their eradication uh, program. Yep. But yeah, there are, I mean, all sorts of campaigns happening all over the world you know, we're still working on polio. Polio is really, really, really close. Unfortunately, you know, in places where there is war 
and strife, it's very, very hard to vaccinate people. Um, but, you know, I think that was one of the really interesting things about Andrew is that, you know, he decided to get into global health because he just wanted to be a part of an eradication program. You know, he wanted to be a part of something that was essentially completely changing to the entire human and, you know, almost the whole entire animal kingdom, if you think about it, like completely eradicating, you know, a disease, which is kind of crazy. But uh, that was a really, really, really cool episode. He brought us a lot of gifts. So we will be choosing um, people who retweeted our uh, post. So we've got a couple books and some guinea worm specific water filters. So, mm-hmm. so they may be collector's items after it's eradicated, if you think about it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Quinn, what have you been up to lately? Um, well, this past weekend, my wife Erica and I, we took a trip out west so that we could see the Great American Eclipse. Wow. We went to um, the Atlas Obscura Total Eclipse Festival. And okay. it was about 400 people. Um, we camped in a, a field and... Um, they had speakers from Scientific American. They had people from Science Friday. They had people from um, all kinds of different universities and other scientific organizations. They had astronomers there who had fancy uh, telescopic lenses so that we could look at the stars and I look don't at know. the sun. It was I don't so know why. So cool. I was going to, I kept thinking that you were going to say there were astronomers that had really fancy hats. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. No, were they I wizards? Uh, I didn't see any astronomers with any fancy hats, but I did get to watch um, the Sun Ra Orchestra led by Marshall Allen, who is 93 years old. Oh, wow. And if you've never seen them perform, they are pretty amazing, um, but they have very cool hats. I believe it. And very cool outfits. Um, they are a very Afro-futuristic, space-aged, jazz-inspired, funkadelic, ten-piece band. That's a lot of adjectives. but I think that probably describes them pretty well. Okay. And they were founded in the 1930s. What? By a man who um, had visions of traveling to Saturn and using the power of music to inspire happiness. And he changed his name to Sun Ra, Ra being the right. the god of sun, the uh-huh. Egyptian god of sun, and um, started this band in the 1930s. Well, Marshall Allen joined the band in 1958 and he is still at what since wow. Sunrod died in the 90s mm-hmm. he has took taken over leading the band so he's been with this band since 1958 wow and that's crazy so i met him which is really cool and they performed um uh, a man named helado negro he performed and he was amazing He's, like, now my new favorite musician. He's this uh, guy from South Florida. I think he lives in New York now. 
but again, his music, it's sort of um, meditative and rhythmic, but what really brings you in is the performative aspect of his his mm-hmm. whole thing, which he has these two giant, um, like, he calls them his tinsel mammals. Okay. And they are, think about giant abominable snowmen okay. that are covered in tinsel. And they dance Fun. alongside him, and it is the most beautiful thing in the entire world. And there's world. people in them? Yeah. It's going to be really hot. But anyways, we also saw the eclipse, which is the reason we went, mm-hmm. and it was very, very, very cool. Like, I'm sure you've read descriptions of it, but uh, as the the moon starts to eclipse the sun and it gets almost there, the light starts to dim, you start to not notice the sun's warmth on your skin anymore, uh, the shadows get weird. Birds start making weird sounds because they think it's nighttime now. The temperature drops. And then when it happens, the sky goes black. Everyone cheers. It's like the most amazing experience. And I totally recommend anyone um, who can go, the next big one in America is in 2024, to try and, and go see one because it was totally worth it. Very cool. Um, so that's what I that's what I did this past weekend, and I'm reading a book by um, an author named Anthony Doer. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. And he wrote um, "All the Light We Cannot See," which won the Pulitzer Prize, I think, in 2015. Anyways, I'm reading um, a book of his short stories called "The Shell Collector," and he is a great writer. Very cool. Um, I went to Savannah this past weekend, but not for the eclipse. Savannah. Oh, is Tom Waits around? Savannah, Georgia. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so Savannah was great. Uh, this was for a bachelorette party. But what I thought was very interesting was we did a haunted pub crawl. Yes. And there were a lot of public health elements, not just substance misuse but um savannah at least i i don't know if people believe in ghosts or not i'm not a big like i don't really believe in ghosts i'm a scientist i'm i'm a dana scully i don't believe in it um but it's really it was very very interesting savannah is very haunted because there's bodies everywhere guys oh yeah savannah was built on four cemeteries (laughs) And on top of that, there are actual catacombs underneath Savannah. Mm, yep. Why, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. As I'm sure maybe some of you are aware, yellow fever was not real great in the South during the turn of the century. And for a lot, a, a good chunk of when people lived down there. You mean that a uh, muggy, hot, swampy hellscape isn't a place that... Shockingly, you would want to be if you wanted pristine health. Yeah, it, it, it for whatever reason doesn't really match well. So, uh, people were dying of yellow fever, but of course, at that time, the miasma theory was still very prominent, and they thought, oh, it's because everything stinks. So, what they did is they would seal themselves in their houses and they would build tunnels under their houses to bury their dead. But guess what lies in tunnels? 
It's moist. It's dark. It's humid. Mosquitoes. Hmm. So people were still getting yellow fever. So yeah, uh, there's a mass burial of people that died of yellow fever. And apparently at one point, the the theory, or not the theory, like the, the myth is that there are 666 people buried in this. Okay. Yeah. But what I thought was interesting, minus the, you know, satanic reference, was that, so one of the final symptoms of yellow fever is coma. So people were probably being buried alive because oh they were in a coma, and we really didn't understand coma very well at that time. So <laughs> apparently there was a really hard rain during the time that there was this mass burial, and they really don't actually know how many bodies are in the mass grave because there could have been people clawing themselves out because they were actually alive. That's also why the term dead ringer and saved by the bell are used colloquially because... People would wake up in their coffins alive because they were in a coma. So people would attach a string through the coffin up to the ground with a little bell. Mm -hmm. That's also where the term graveyard shift comes from. Listen for the little bell. Horrifying times, guys. Yeah. Like, that's, I, so it's like, okay, you could die a horrific hemorrhagic death from yellow fever, or you could suffer hemorrhagic fever from yellow fever, go into a coma, and wake up in a coffin. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that... Probably smelled bad. It probably still smelled really bad. So apparently, they find bodies all the time. Like, they'll be doing construction, and they'll just be bodies. Like, in somebody's backyard. Oh. They recently had a storm come through, and, like, their big... So a couple of big oak trees fell down, but... Oak tree roots are actually twice as long and big as their act tops. Guess what? We're in the roots. Bodies. Yay. So there's a lot of bodies in Savannah, which is really weird. Spooky. Spooky. I really wanted to actually see the catacombs, but they've um, closed those down. Oh. Because. Uh, ghosts. Yes. Because ghosts. Uh, I think it's more of a, uh, just a uh, safety concern. Probably. But yeah. Um, yeah, so this has been our interlude episode. If you are interested in following us, we are on Facebook and Twitter, and our website is www.viral pod.com. And please like us, follow us, share, share our content, and, and review us. Review us. Please. So people can find us. And so that we know we're doing a good job. Because sometimes, you know, we, we all need a little positive reinforcement. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Until next time. Wash your hands. Please. So gross. <laughs> thanks for listening to Viral. This podcast was written and produced by Quinn Lundquist, that's me, and Lindsay Grove. Our theme is Take Your Medicine by the Quick and Easy Boys. If you like our podcast, let us know. Leave a review, tell your friends, but most importantly, make sure to always wash your hands.
like it's like 90% if not more it's getting chilly the shadows are weird it's kind of cool now oh look at the sun look at the sky oh it's like gray it's like yeah it's a blue gray that is weird my eyes are like confused yeah it's getting dark and yeah I'm feeling chilly I'm recording us Oh, you are. Just audio. Wow. It's like an eyelash. It is just like, oh, it is just like a little tiny fingernail. Yeah. From. Yeah, the sky is like the gray. Southwestern quadrant is the is the sliver. <laughs> If you're looking at the bottom left. This is so strange. Because it's daylight. It's like, but it's not. It's clearly day. But it sort of feels like it's like either 5 a.m. or 7.45. It's like, almost feels like there's this sunlight. But there's not. Look at the sky over here. Wow. It's, I feel like we're going to have some stars come out. Yeah, stars may come out. This is it's spooky. It's so cold, too. Oh, the, now the sliver is getting <laughs> smaller. It's like the edges of it are just trickling in as it gets yep. more and more covered. I feel like we can watch it shrink right now. Oh, it's getting colder again. It is. Oh, it's getting darker. I feel like there's stars on it. Oh, whoa. There's a star. Really? Right there. Oh, there is a star. Wow. Wow. Awesome! Woo! Welcome! Oh, hello. Awesome. Don't you know it's His day? They're right next to each other. Or do you think, no, that wouldn't be Mercury, because he was saying that likes to hang out by the sun. <gasps> oh, it's so small. Whoa. Oh, the corona. Oh, no. It's going. Oh, my God. No. No. God. This is. I can't handle it. 
looking at the, the sun, sun with the, my naked eye, and it's dark. Oh it is, it is dark out. You can see the corona. It's not gonna turn out at all. No, but wow. oh my goodness. Oh. oh my gosh, it's getting darker. It is. Look, there's so many stars. That, well, two. I see two. But still. One, it's two, three stars. Oh, wow. Whoa. Look at the horizon. It's like twilight. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. This is so strange. Wow. Look at the, like, Look at how it's not uniform. The no. corona, it's like so little on the right side and so wide, just like near the bottom. It's almost like it's like a oh, hat. man. It kind of looks like a hat. It just like kind of happened. Just. No, I can't see that. Wow. Can you take my picture in the dark? Yeah, I don't know if I'll lose my audio. Here's mine. Okay. I just just in the dark. Are you doing another one? Oh, you can see the little finger Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> it's getting so much lighter already. It is. Whoa. That was amazing. And it's like 5% light out now. This is so... Yeah, look at how never ever in my life seen anything close to this. It's like the sun came back up. Wow. 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 I have like no my, idea what you paid for this weekend, but I don't care. My heart is in my throat. <laughs> like I don't know. I'm shaking. The sun starts to come up again. Here we are. The wow. The corona. With our eyes, just like, like we just, little, it's just showing itself to us. Just yeah. a beautiful little mist. I can't wait to see people's like official yeah. photos up close and like with the fancy telescopes and stuff. Because just with the naked eye, it was amazing. It's so, look how much it's already showing. Oh my gosh, that was so amazing. It's so, so chilly out. It is still really chilly out. But it was dark. It was, it was twilight. There were stars, you could still see one. You still can? Oh yeah, there still is one star out. It's quiet too. Like, there's 400 people all here, but. Yeah. 
Solar Eclipse, August 21st, 2017. Quinn. Erica. Signing off. Over now.